Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome to episode 27 of Destination Disaster. I am your host, Devin Carney. couple of weeks have been quite hectic here, so this week I've decided to re-record the first episode that I launched this podcast with. For those of you who are new or just couldn't stand the quality that I was producing almost a year ago, this episode comes at a perfect time as here we along the Atlantic coast are preparing for the hurricane season. This marks a period of time, generally between June and November, when conditions are prime for hurricane formation. Back in the early episodes, I focused too heavily on watching the amount of time that I was recording and that significantly hindered the quality of the episode. Now, with more advanced recording instruments and software, I can produce the episode that I initially planned for. This will include the use of a theoretical scenario that is tailored more closely to an actual event. That way, those who would like to better prepare ahead of hurricane season can do so. My ultimate goal is to ensure you, my audience, is ready to face any threat, no matter how large. For those of you who may not live in the geographic area where hurricanes are most common, there are certain conditions that are necessary for one to form. To begin, the majority of hurricanes begin their lives as a tropical wave or a system of low pressure that forms in moisture-rich environments such as the Caribbean Sea. Generally, there will be a sizable increase in thunderstorm activity as the system continues to grow. As the low-pressure system continues to form, ocean temperatures of at least 79.7 degrees Fahrenheit are needed to fuel continued development. As the warm tropical air rises into the burgeoning storm, clouds and thunderstorms build, creating a larger storm. Now, as the storm is pushed along, the wind speed ultimately increases, and once those speeds reach 74 miles per hour, it is classified as a hurricane. Now, depending on the direction that the hurricane is steered via global winds, this will determine if increased strengthening continues or if the storm will weaken and ultimately just become a conglomeration of showers. As with any other natural disaster that occurs often enough, there are certain ranks or classification scales that these natural hazards are grouped into. The scale in which hurricanes are classified is known as the Saphir-Simpson Hurricane Wind Scale. According to the National Hurricane Center, the Saphir-Simpson Hurricane Wind Scale estimates potential property damage. While all hurricanes produce life-threatening winds, hurricanes rated Category 3 and higher are known as major hurricanes. Major hurricanes can cause devastating to catastrophic wind damage and significant loss of life simply due to the strength of their winds. As if wind speed and debris flying through the air weren't the only things to be worried about. If you choose to remain on the coast or live within proximity of rivers, then both storm surges and storm tides are something you should prepare for. These two events are incredibly dangerous and can happen with little warning and sweep unsuspecting individuals to their demise. There are different characteristics when it comes to identifying the two events. Storm surges are defined as an abnormal rise of water generated by a storm over and above the predicted astronomical tides. Storm tides are defined as the total observed seawater level during a storm, resulting from the combination of storm surge 
and the astronomical tide. Storm surges are incredibly deadly forces of nature and are the cause of death during many hurricane and tropical storm impacts. Along the coast, storm surge is often the greatest threat to life and property from a hurricane. In the past, large death tolls have resulted from the rise of the ocean associated with many of the major hurricanes that have made landfall. Hurricane Katrina is a prime example of the damage and devastation caused by the surge. At least 1,500 persons lost their lives during Katrina, and many of those deaths occurred directly or indirectly as a result of the storm surge. The Congressional Budget Office estimates annually that the United States will experience $54 billion in total damages due to both hurricane winds and storm-related flooding. For me, this is what I worry about when reviewing the data and the risk of a major hurricane impacting here in Hampton Roads. The scary thing is that the National Hurricane Center has mapped out exactly what a storm surge and subsequent inundation would resemble. To get an idea of what that would look like here in Hampton Roads, take a look at the initial photos of when the levees failed, leaving much of the city of New Orleans underwater after Hurricane Katrina's impact. That would be much of Hampton Roads. It's not necessarily the wind that you should be worried about if a major hurricane were to impact this area but the surge and subsequent inundation that would leave those who chose to stay trapped with little to no access to emergency assistance. As we rapidly approach hurricane season, I urge you to take precautions now while there is access to critical items such as canned goods, water, and batteries. Don't wait until the day before a hurricane impact because there will be nothing left and you will be left scrambling. To give you an idea of just how strong hurricanes can become, I'm going to run you through the Severe Simpson hurricane wind scale. A category one has wind speeds between 74 and 95 miles per hour. Trees will be uprooted, roofs will be damaged, and storm surges are reported between six and eight feet above normal tide levels. Category two is wind speeds between 96 and 110 miles per hour. Major roof and siding damage occur, trees are uprooted, and near total power outages occur. A category three is 111 to 129 miles per hour. Devastating damage occurs. Electricity and water are unavailable for days. A Category 4 has wind speeds between 130 and 156 miles per hour. Catastrophic damage occurs. Roofs and exterior walls are ripped away. Power outages to last weeks or months. And certain areas will be left uninhabitable. Category 5 hurricanes include wind speeds of 157 miles per hour and greater. Catastrophic damage occurs. A large percentage of well-framed homes will be destroyed. And power outages will last for weeks to months. Believe it or not, global warming is another major factor that is causing hurricanes to become more frequent and stronger. Global warming is playing a key role in leading to stronger hurricanes that are threatening more communities that have historically not been affected by such events. This means towns and cities that are further inland now have to develop new plans and prepare citizens for larger threats. Sea level rise is also leading to increased instances of flooding and storm surges. According to the Yale Climate Connections, the frequency of stronger, major hurricanes is becoming more frequent. The authors of that same 2013 study found a substantial regional and global increase in the proportion of the strongest hurricanes, Category 4 and 5 storms. The authors attribute that increase to the global heating of the climate. The authors conclude that since 1975, there has been a substantial and observable regional and global increase in the proportion of Cat 4 and 5 hurricanes of 25 to 30 percent per degree Celsius of anthropogenic human-caused global warming. The proof is right there. Without significant efforts done on our part, we humans are only causing this ourselves. If we continue to release harmful elements into our atmosphere, preventing heat from escaping, stronger hurricanes are the future of our civilization. The only way that we can better prepare for the next impact is to review past hurricane impacts. 
Historic impacts give emergency responders, managers, and even meteorologists a true representation of the response capabilities succeeded and where adjustments should be made to promote a stronger response, enhance community readiness, and enable stronger coordination between local, state, and federal resources. Planning is a continuous cycle and one that best works with data to support said changes. This planning can be best experienced by visiting New Orleans. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers has installed a multi-billion dollar hurricane protection system that will protect the city from future impacts. The new hurricane protection system includes new seawalls, levees, pumps, floodgates, and drainage that all act in a coordinated manner to provide critical protection. In the Hampton Roads area, we face similar issues of rising sea level and sinking land leading to increased rates of flooding and a great risk of stronger storm surges. According to SeaLevelRise.org, the Hampton Roads region is currently second behind the city of New Orleans for the rate of sea level rise. The sea level around Hampton Roads is up to 14 inches higher than it was in 1950. This increase is mostly due to Virginia's sinking land and it's causing major issues. Hampton Roads is also second only to New Orleans as the largest population center at risk from sea level rise in the country. Unfortunately, slightly higher sea levels make hurricanes even more damaging. Just a few more inches of sea level rise allow a hurricane to push even more water onto the land, even if the hurricane itself doesn't make landfall. Higher sea levels create a higher launching point for storm surge. These small changes in sea level rise are enough to turn what were 100-year storm surges into much more frequent events. In fact, in a third of 55 coastal sites studied throughout the U.S., 100-year storm surges will be 10-year or more frequent events by 2050. Luckily, city leaders, planners, and legislators have pledged funds to ensure the proper enhancements are made to combat these quickly sinking lands and rising waters. Typically, for episodes similar to this that include natural hazards, I review past impacts to gauge the reaction and if there was a trend forming. However, the Hampton Roads Virginia region has never experienced a major hurricane impact. The latest data that we have from a significant impact is Tropical Storm Isabel. The storm surge experienced is some of the worst to have occurred in the area. In the Hampton Roads region, Isabel produced a high storm surge including reports of 7.5 feet at the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel and a peak of 8.3 feet at Gloucester Point. Unofficially higher amounts included an estimate of 10 and 3 quarter feet at Smithfield. In some locations, the surge surpassed the previous record set by the 1933 Chesapeake Potomac hurricane. In many of my more recent episodes, I have moved away from utilizing the theoretical portions in an effort to provide more data-driven content. However, for this episode, this is the only way that I can truly outline the sheer destruction and chaos that would consume this region should a major hurricane strike the Hampton Roads area. Now, as we move into this portion of the episode, I want to warn those listening that there are depictions of death during these portions, so if you are squeamish, I advise you to fast forward to the conclusion of the episode. As the tail end of hurricane season approaches the Atlantic, a low pressure system quickly develops into a tropical storm as it nears the British Virgin Islands. Throughout the early and late afternoon, the tropical storm strengthens into a hurricane thanks to the incredibly warm waters that fuel the convective systems within the hurricane. By that night, the hurricane has already reached Category 2 strength. High-level winds steer the hurricane directly over the Turks and Caicos Islands. Normally, this would mark a weakening for a storm. However, this hurricane only continues to gather strength. Hurricane Hunter aircraft fly into the eye of the storm and notice an eyewall replacement cycle occurring, making only continued strength. The hurricane continues its northern track, passing well offshore of Florida. However, as the storm reaches near the South Carolina border, upper-level winds steered away from the coast slightly, and by 4 p.m. that afternoon, it has reached Category 3 status. Winds within the storm are now being recorded at nearly 128 miles per hour. On the ground, North Carolina's governor has already issued voluntary evacuation orders for the Outer Banks and all cities along the coast. In addition to this, he has issued a state of emergency. 
In Virginia, similar precautions have begun as well. Interstate travel has been reversed away from oceanfront communities, and the governor issues a state of emergency and advises all visitors to evacuate immediately, as all hotels and businesses will be closed at the oceanfront. Meteorologists have begun running prediction models, and both the Euro and GFS model are in near 80% alignment of a direct impact on Virginia Beach. The hurricane is now approximately 600 miles away from Virginia Beach and has now strengthened into a Category 4 storm, with peak winds recorded at nearly 145 miles per hour. The hurricane is predicted to make landfall at approximately 4 a.m. on a Monday morning. All major bridges and tunnels are closed 24 hours before the storm is expected to make landfall. Those that have evacuated have been warned that it will be months before any sense of normalcy is projected to return. Power and water are expected to be disabled for weeks and roadways impassable until crews can respond and begin cleanup and pumping out clogged storm drains. The next morning, right on cue. The early winds begin to whip at the ocean, turning the sea into a mad entity. Over the next four hours, as the storm slowly pushes onshore, the wind speed dramatically increases and is holding steady at nearly 80 miles an hour at Norfolk International Airport. Power is already out to nearly 70% of Dominion Energy's coverage zone along the coast. Flooding is already being reported in many neighborhoods as small rivers crest their banks and high winds and intense downpours drench the area. The storm surge pushes onshore and quickly envelops the oceanfront, downtown Norfolk, and downtown Portsmouth. Hospitals in each of the cities begin to lose power as the substations across the region begin to fail due to overloading. Not known by officials yet, but the first deaths have been called into 911 operators at the beach. Surfers attempting to surf the large swells are killed when they are swept into the breakers on First Street. Their bodies are located by police officers patrolling the oceanfront, making sure that it is clear of tourists and locals trying to get a good Instagram shot. Unfortunately, the only thing that police can do is collect them and store them in a nearby ambulance that is stationed. Wind speeds only continue to grow stronger as the storm proceeds further inland. Winds recorded at the airport are now 140 miles per hour, with the storm still not fully onshore. Flooding is nearly present everywhere, and larger buildings on the oceanfront begin losing windows on higher floors. Trees are swept away, and roofs begin flying through the air. The downtown tunnel reports floodwaters of 12 feet, and operators are forced to evacuate as the floodwaters begin to creep closer to the operations center. At the Emergency Operations Center in Virginia Beach, city officials can only watch the destruction from streetlight cameras. Police have also begun reporting that some homes have been nearly leveled from the winds a few blocks away from the beach. In downtown Norfolk, the flooding is catastrophic. The floodgate that stands as the protector of the city has been overtopped. Many of the buildings downtown are now inundated with floodwaters. Windows are blown out, and many of the neighborhoods resemble a war zone. Those unable to or not willing to evacuate have taken refuge in the city's parking garages in an effort to escape the rising floodwaters. In Portsmouth, the story is pretty much the same. Flooding has overtopped the seawall downtown, and floodwaters have enveloped much of the city. Many of the older buildings that have been around for well over 100 years collapse at the sheer gales that are rushing through the region. As the morning turns to afternoon, the eye of the hurricane finally passes over Hampton Roads, giving little reprieve from the deadly scenario. While some take a quick look outside, those who are veterans know the worst is yet to come. One hour later, incredibly strong winds kick up again. Langley Air Force Base records a one-minute sustained wind gust of 147 miles per hour. As the hurricane tracks further inland, the wall of surge comes with it. Newport News, Hampton, Pocosin, Yorktown, and Williamsburg are all catastrophically inundated as the storm surge quickly overtops beaches and sandbags that have been placed in an effort to stem flooding. The storm surge in some locations is estimated at 12 feet. 
Trees are ripped from the ground and power poles are tossed around like matchsticks. Nearly six hours after making landfall, the hurricane finally begins to move further north where it quickly weakens into a tropical depression, dumping rain over western portions of Virginia, North Carolina, Maryland, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, and Kentucky. Now, you may be wondering how in the hell anyone can respond to the chaos that has just occurred. This is why I always preach preparedness, planning, and resiliency. A response to a hurricane impact of this magnitude is massive and one that is going to take a huge amount of coordination. Luckily, the Hampton Roads area has a strong mutual aid agreement with each city and even the military bases in the area. Once conditions clear, local emergency responders begin doing their initial sweeps, checking for anyone who may be stranded or are in need of immediate evacuation due to medical emergencies. Following a call with the Virginia governor, the president issues an emergency declaration to speed up the response of federal assistance. FEMA mobilizes and begins the process of deploying aid to the most affected areas first. While that is in process, local first responders are relaying damage assessments to the emergency operations center that then get funneled to the FEMA liaison that is also in the EOC at this time. Due to the flooding being so heavy, the governor activates Virginia Army National Guard to deploy. Contingents from the U.S. Navy, U.S. Coast Guard, and U.S. Air Force get helicopters in the air to begin search and rescue operations. In an effort to hasten response activities and get shelters staffed, the emergency manager and mayor of Virginia Beach activate the Community Emergency Response Team. Those citizens who volunteer for the Community Emergency Response Team are trained in basic first aid, search and rescue, damage assessment, and triage. Those who are able begin working their way house to house, checking on neighbors, and cutting off utilities that may be leaking, such as natural gas. At this point, more damage assessments begin flowing in from all over the city. This allows first responders to focus their efforts more closely on heavily damaged areas. The Virginia National Guard begins deploying in approximately two hours later, on boats and in vehicles that are able to ford deep water. The Guard units begin stationing at shelters throughout the area, setting up medical facilities and registration to help families reunify quicker. Later that night, the first federal contingents begin arriving. Virginia Task Force 2 is an urban search and rescue team that has responded to some of the worst disasters throughout the country and are able to expertly extract those injured from collapsed structures and provide trained canines in both live and cadaver search operations. FEMA, Homeland Security, and other federal resources arrive in Richmond, Virginia Beach, Norfolk, and Portsmouth to take over the response phase of this disaster. Floodwaters along the coast finally begin to recede about a week later, allowing power teams to begin rebuilding the electrical infrastructure that was destroyed during the hurricane. FEMA damage assessment teams are able to get out into the field to begin surveying and reporting damage estimates. The Hampton Roads area resembles not only a war zone, but one that was completely decimated. Buildings are catastrophically damaged along the oceanfront. Many will have to be demolished as they have been deemed uninhabitable. Homes further inland have been damaged by floodwaters and will also need extensive repairs due to mold already beginning to grow. Those who evacuated return only to find nothing left. Their homes, property, and memories have all been destroyed in less than 24 hours. The preliminary death toll is approximately 1,500 and well over 30,000 injuries are reported. Many of the deaths reported are due to the storm surge sweeping those away. One month later, power is restored to roughly 90% of the affected area. Hospitals are finally able to return to normal operation. However, many required repairs due to flooding. Military bases around the region house many of those affected in makeshift shelters that provide sturdy shelter, clean water, sewage, and power. FEMA contracts with local companies to quickly make repairs to homes. This is done in waves to ensure not everyone tries to move back into their homes while damage still exists. The projected damages from this hurricane impact are well over $40 billion, with that number expected to increase as claims continue to funnel into FEMA. While I wish I could outline the entire response and recovery phase, this is something that would take many episodes to cover. 
My ultimate goal for this episode was to raise awareness for the threat that exists here in Hampton Roads. We are only two weeks away from the official start of hurricane season. Two weeks. Take the time to prepare and gather the necessary resources that you need to protect you and your family. We are in the middle of an extraordinary climate where product shortages are occurring every day. This is why I am urging you to prepare now and not a week out when a hurricane is projected to impact. The forecast for this season is going to be busy. According to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, there will be 19 named storms. Of those 19, 9 will be named hurricanes and 4 will be named major hurricanes. The prediction for a major hurricane making landfall along the entire U.S. coastline is 71% versus 52% for the last century. The projection of a major hurricane making landfall along the U.S. East Coast, including the Florida Peninsula, is 47% versus the last century average of 31%. The projection of a major hurricane impacting the Gulf Coast from the Florida Panhandle to Brownsville, Texas is 46% versus the last century average of 30%. Finally, the projection for a major hurricane to impact within the Caribbean is 60% versus the last century average of 42%. Take your precautions now. I cannot stress this enough. It's far cheaper to gather resources over time than it is to make a large one-time purchase. Take it from me, the man who runs a disaster podcast that has notoriously underprepared for each hurricane or tropical storm that has threatened the area. In order to ensure that y'all can prepare adequately, I'm going to share the basics of disaster preparedness items that you probably already should have. These items that I'm about to share with you are universal for any disaster that may threaten your region. These are the base items, so I urge you to build onto this kit and alter it to your specifications. Water, at least one gallon per person per day. Fill bathtubs and sinks ahead of a storm, An average sized bathtub holds 42 gallons of water. Be sure this includes enough to flush the toilet should water stop flowing. If you have an animal, account for an extra gallon of water for them as well. Food, canned and non-perishables such as freeze-dried items should be kept on hand. At minimum, a 7-day supply should be kept on hand. This also should include an average of 1,600 calories per person per day. A battery-operated crank flashlight and radio, a regular flashlight, a first aid kit, extra batteries, a dust mask, plastic sheeting and duct tape, moist towelettes, garbage bags, and plastic ties for personal hygiene, a toolkit, a manual can opener, local maps, and a cell phone with a solar or car charger. Also include prescription medications, enough to last for several weeks should pharmacies remain closed, non-prescription medications as well to include pain relievers, allergy, and anti-diarrheals. If you have a pet, don't forget about their food and medicines as well. This is why I say prepare early. Crafting these emergency kits can cost hundreds when it is all said and done. I care for you all and hope that you are all able to safely ride out any disaster that may threaten your local community. I want to thank you all for listening this week. Sorry for the delay. I've had some personal stuff going on in the background that needed to be taken care of. Uploads may continue to fluctuate over the next couple of months, but rest assured, episodes will continue to release. Once we reach episode 30, I'll probably take a quick break to rest and write some more material. Please continue to share the podcast. We continue to grow slowly, but at a steady pace. I don't expect rapid growth, seeing as how niche of a podcast this is. Please follow the podcast on both Instagram and Twitter. There, I update frequently about upcoming episodes and happenings throughout the world. Until next week, this has been Destination Disaster.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.